Amen, amen. Let's thank God again for our worship team. Amen. Oh, man. It's outstanding leadership in worship and praise. If you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. I wanted to just teach for a moment today and... We pray that God will move on someone's life, that someone will be helped, someone will be transformed, someone will be changed. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, the New International Version, which is the version we use in our worship celebrations, says, therefore, as God's chosen people, Holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I wanted to entitle this message, Put your clothes on. But I changed my mind and I said we will call it dress to impress. Amen. Dress to impress. I'm happy to have with us today, worshiping with us, the vice mayor of the city of Miami Gardens and the lead candidate for mayor of the city of Miami Gardens and the person of Councilman Vice Mayor Oliver Gilbert. I'm going to ask him to stand. Amen. Amen. It's always great to have Vice Mayor Gilbert with us. He has been a great supporter of our ministry, and he doesn't just come during election time, which is always a blessing uh, to have our, those who represent us politically present. So, uh, Vice Mayor, we're glad to have you, and we certainly wish you the best course, I would say this for those of us who are, who are residents of Miami Garden, that you, there are several candidates. I think there are seven or eight candidates for mayor, but you, you could not, and I can't tell you who to vote for, but you, you can't vote for a better candidate. I, of all the candidates, you, you're not going to be able to find a better candidate than Vice Mayor Oliver Gilbert. Amen. 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 Somebody ought to clap your hands. Amen. We've talked on many occasions. He is very much committed to the advancement of this city. And so we have all the confidence in him. Amen. Dress to impress. The scripture says that we are God's chosen people. You are God's choice. You are God's choice. This, this past week, and we are in a season of selection in um, our world. But this past week on Thursday, the National Basket, Basketball Association held its annual draft. And most of the players in the annual NBA draft come from the four conferences, the four basketball college conferences that comprise more than 1,100 basketball teams. 
And of these 1,100 basketball teams in Division I, II, III, and the NAIA, there are more than 14,000 basketball players, men, male basketball players, athletes. And of these 14,000 players, which the college conferences is the primary breeding place, the primary developmental place for all of the NBA uh, players. But of these 14,000 athletes, less than 60 of these athletes were picked, were chosen to work, to play for an NBA team. That is to say that less than one half of a percent of all of the college basketball players, less than one half of one percent of them were chosen to play on the professional level in the National Basketball Association. But I'm glad that God is not like the commissioner of the NBA, because if that were the case, most of us would not make it into heaven. I wish I had somebody to say amen. If God was like the commissioner of the NBA, it, it, it would be very unlikely that we would make it into the kingdom of heaven. But I want to tell you today that all of us in here have a better chance of going to heaven than we have of ever being a professional athlete. And every professional athlete at some point or another is going to have to deal with the fact that he or she is no longer a professional athlete. And all of these things come to an end. And in this context, the Bible asks us a question, what would it profit a man if we gain the whole world and yet we forget about what is most important and we lose our soul? So I want you to know that you are, God has chosen you to be a part of his family. God has chosen you to be a part of the kingdom and God has chosen you to be a part and a citizen of heaven. So first of all, you are part of God's chosen. And then the Bible says that you are better than you think you are. Amen. You are better than you think you are because it describes us as being holy and dearly beloved. Now, a lot of times we beat ourselves up because of the successive, consecutive, and massive amounts of failures we have had in our lives. And if we were honest people in here today, though we have had some successes and we have done some wonderful things, if we were honest, we really do have some things which we are not proud of. Somebody say amen. But I want you to know that you are much better than you think you are because God says that you are holy and beloved. Can I talk to you about what it means to be holy in the sight of God? What it means first is that you're not holy in your own right, and you're not holy in your own power. The Bible says that all of our righteousness, all of our attempts to do good, is tainted with our own sinfulness. In other words, it says all of our righteousness is just as filthy rags. But 
in the midst of our failures and our flaws, the Bible says that we are holy and beloved. How are we holy in the midst of our own sinfulness and messed upness? Well, first of all, the only way we can become holy is that God helps us to be holy. Um, God's holiness that he basically imputes and gives to us is given to us out of a relationship with us. In other words, we cannot do anything to get in right relationship with God. God has done everything to help us get into right relationship with him. In other words, if we're going to be holy, God is going to have to make us holy. And so what Jesus did on the cross, when he died on the cross, Jesus paid for every bit of our unholiness, paid for all of our unrighteousness, and therefore he has made us to be holy. In other words, we are holy because God has made us holy. And so not only are we holy, but we are beloved, which means that God cares very deeply about all of us. And so as a result of God making us holy and as a result of God making us beloved, he tells us to come before him a certain way. He says, clothe yourselves with these characteristics. Now, I want you to pay careful attention to this because when we talk about clothing ourselves and when we talk about dressing, our clothes that we wear reflect how people see us physically. Yeah, the clothes we wear say nothing really about who we are other than we either know how or we don't know how to dress. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's all your clothes say. doesn't matter how well you put it together. Your clothes don't really say who you really are. It just says how well or how poor, poorly you know how to fix yourself up physically. But I want you to know you are more than who you are physically. And so the Bible says to dress, to impress, but not to be overly concerned about what you have in your closet or what you don't have in your closet. Many of us uh, sometimes decide whether we will attend or not attend something based on something as shallow as what we have in the closet or what we don't have. Y'all not following me. Or what we don't have in the closet. But I just want to say when you walk into a room, you are more than the clothes on your back and the shoes on your feet and what you have in the closet. So God says when you go, make sure you're dressed to impress, not just with a nice dress, shirt, or shoes, but you must clothe yourself spiritually because that is what people ultimately are going to see. So how we wear our clothes will reflect how people see us physically. How we wear our character, listen to this, how we wear our character will reflect how people see us, period. People will come to realize that the type of clothing we wear on our bodies does not matter very much. So therefore, Paul instructs us to clothe ourselves, first of all, with compassion. Put on compassion. What is compassion? The first time the word compassion is mentioned in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 2, verse 6. And it talks about Pharaoh's daughter seeing 
the baby Moses in a little boat, a little basket floating down the river. And it says she opens up the basket, and the verse says she opened it and saw the baby, and he was crying, and she had compassion on him. Compassion means to feel something that you don't have to feel, to care at a level that you're not uh, required to care. Where do we learn compassion from? We learn it from God. Psalm 51 verse 1 says this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love, and according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. In other words, God, don't save me and cleanse me because I deserve it, because your compassion is so great. What I'm doing is depending on your mercy to make me right. Then secondly, it says, clothe yourselves with kindness. Clothe yourselves with kindness. If you would turn to Job chapter 42, verse 10 through 13. Job chapter 42, verse 10 through 13. How many of you are kind of familiar with the story of Job? Some of you kind of familiar? The story of Job, a man who lived in a place called Uz. He had several children, and one day um, as he was preparing to worship, messenger came to his house and told him that all of his crops had been destroyed, all of his animals had been killed. And then another messenger comes and tells him that in the midst of all of that, all of his children have also died. And so from chapter 1 and 2 of Job all the way to chapter 41, 41 chapters, we are witnesses to the suffering, pain, and frustration of this biblical character called Job. Job also had three friends who sat with him most of the time during his suffering. And what these friends did was try to help Job understand why he was suffering so much. And one would say, well, Job, it must be something that you've done. It must be something in your past. It must be some skeleton in your closet. Because if you were right with God, God would not allow you to suffer in this way. If you had the type of faith that God requires of us. God would not allow you to suffer this way. And so they began to try to pull and probe on Job and his memory and say, well, Job, what is it that you've done? Or what is it that you've left undone? And there was nothing that Job could think of that he had done in order to displease God in this manner. And part of the theme of the book of Job is that suffering is not necessarily the result of a lack of faith. And suffering is not necessarily the result of unrighteousness. A part of the human experience sometimes is to suffer. And so in the midst of the suffering, though, God is always working in our lives. Somebody in here remembers the verse of Scripture that says, all things work together for the good to those who love the Lord. And so when we think about this whole concept of kindness, we find a very strange verse at the end of the book of Job. Chapter 42, verse 10, it says, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had had before. And so this describes how Job ends his life. He ends his life praying for his friends. And then it says that by the end of Job's life, God had made him twice as prosperous as he was when it began. 
Now look at verse 11. It shows us some of the things that contributed to Job's prosperity. It says, all of his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. In other words, those who had known him before his devastation, before his loss came and they fellowshiped with him and they ate with him. Uh, and then it says, they comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And look at this next phrase. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. And then in verse 2, it talks about how the Lord blessed him, the latter part of his life more than the first. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys, and he had seven sons and three daughters. But the key part of this verse that I want to bring your attention to is this verse that speaks to this very prominent act of kindness, where Job's friends, after he had lost everything that he had, his friends came and ate with him. And look, the Bible says that each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now, you know what this is? This is an act of kindness. In other words, they saw that their friend had nothing left. Y'all not feeling me. They saw that in the midst of his suffering, he lost everything. And so all of his friends came and they invested in the future success of Job. You know what? This is kindness. There, this is what kindness is. Kindness is not about us doing something for somebody because somebody later on can do something for us. But kindness is when we offer ourselves and our resources and we do it without anything in expecting anything in return. In order to do it like this, you have to have another piece of clothing in your closet called humility. I wish I had somebody say amen. Because there are so many people, after they do something for somebody, uh, they are prone to remind you about it uh, every now and then. And if they don't remind you about it, there is a secret expectation that that because I did this for you, then you ought to, y'all not with me this morning, uh, you ought to do this for me. But the Bible tells us here that we've got to dress to impress. We've got to put on the right kinds of clothing. And so it says, add to your wardrobe humility. The Bible in James chapter 4 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You know what I find to be very uh, interesting in the church of God is that I have lived to see that it is a fact that folks get disturbed when somebody else is lifted up and they are not lifted up. I used to think that that was just imaginary talk. I used to think that people were just making that stuff up. But I have lived long enough to see it myself, that feathers get ruffled and folks get torn out of the frame. But look at what the Bible says. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will what? Lift you up. And you know what? A believer ought never be uncomfortable with God not lifting you up. Oh, I wish I had some help. In other words, we ought to have confidence that God 
has me where he wants me. And when God wants to move me, there is nobody who can stop God from moving me where God wants me to be. Therefore, I don't have to hate on anybody getting moved. If I've been here longer, but you get moved faster, I'm all right because God will move me when he wants me to move. Look, let me talk about humility. Here's humility. Let me describe it to you. Say less, do more, and expect nothing in return. That's humility. Somebody needs to tweet that. Yeah. Say less, do more, and expect nothing in return. Secondly, Humility, suffer without drawing unnecessary attention to yourself with complaints and criticisms of others. That's humility. Suffer without drawing unnecessary attention to yourself through complaints and criticism of others. That's humility. Amen. Third, gladly help others become better. This is humility. Gladly help others become better, even if they go further than you. That's humility. Gladly help others. So the Bible tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and then gentleness. Gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Philippians chapter 4 verse 5 says this, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Be clothed with, you know what gentleness is? Gentleness manifests itself first in attitude because you can't be violent in action if you're not violent in spirit. You cannot be nasty in action unless you're nasty in attitude. Y'all not feeling me? And so here it says, be gentle. A gentle in your spirit will produce gentle activity. You know, everybody needs correction. I'll get more amens next service. Everyone needs correction. And there will come a time when you will have to give correction. But giving correction is never wrong. It's how we give correction. Are you all feeling with me? Now, in other words, what we are called to do is to learn how to do it with gentleness. It doesn't matter how egregious the wrong is. Our response, if we are called to correct, is to do it with gentleness. If you are a supervisor of employees, you don't have to cuss no employee out. I wish you don't, you don't have to make somebody feel bad. You don't have to embarrass somebody in front of their peers. If you have to correct, do it with gentleness. You can tell the truth without tearing somebody's uh, self-esteem down. In parenting, somebody take a deep breath. In parenting, parent your children with gentleness. Be firm, be strong, don't be weak back, don't be wishy-washy, 
don't be switching up because they're crying, moaning and groaning and throwing things and closing their doors and won't speak to you. Don't change your position, but you stand firm and be gentle. Amen. And then finally, it says, be patient. Clothe yourself with patience. James chapter 5, verse 7 says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. And how patient he is for autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord is coming near. Look at this, in your patience. And here's, here's, here's instruction, here's teaching. Do not grumble against each other. Be patient. Do not judge each other. Be patient. And so what he's, what he's saying here is that clothe yourself with patience. One of the most frustrating things in the world is to expect something from God and God has not delivered. And one of the most frustrating things is not only to expect, but to expect a long time. Do I have anybody in here who's ever been that way, who has said their prayers and has said the same prayer for a long time. And that particular prayer, if you're honest about it, now there are some people present, I just want to let you know, who all their prayers are answered. Amen. God has answered all their prayers. But there are two or three of us in here, if we're honest, will have some unanswered prayers. Am, am I right about that? And, and some of these unanswered prayers, you're confident in your spirit that if God would answer this prayer, that your life would be better. But God, for some reason, has left this prayer unanswered. Now, you know he's going to do it, and you know he can do it, but the question is, when is he going to do it? And he's left it undone, and sometimes in the midst of our unanswered prayers, we become impatient. Now, let me tell you something about impatience. Impatience, Brother Washington, will cause you to make a bad decision. Y'all not feeling me. Impatience will, impatience will cause you to make bad decisions. Impatience will cloud your perspective. You don't believe it? Turn to the book of Genesis and read about Abraham. God promised Abraham that he was going to give him a child. And he promised him that he, that child was going to be a blessed child. And when God promised Abraham that he was going to give him a child, Abraham was 75 years old. But by the time Abraham got 80 years old, he still didn't have a child. By the time he got 85 years old, he still did not have that child. And Abraham began to wonder, well, now, God, if you say you're going to give me this child, when are you going to give me this child? Because according to my biology class, time is running out on me. And time is running out on my wife. We've been trying. We've been doing everything. We've been taking our vitamins. We've been doing our exercise. But there is no sign of a child. And so he gets a recommendation from his wife to sleep with the maid that works for his wife. And so what Abraham says sounds like a pretty good idea to me. And you know what made it sound good was his lack of patience. Our foreparents used to say this, God may not come when you want him to come. Somebody say amen. He may not do it when you want him to do it. He may not do it how you want him to do it, but God will do it. If he promised you something, it will come to pass. And so he says, be patient. I want to say to our parents in here, be patient. 
God is still working in your family life. I want to say to those of us who are looking for better employment, looking for better economic opportunities, be patient. God is not finished working in your life. How many of you have character flaws and things in your life that you thought you'd be over by now? Listen, be patient. God is still working in your life. God has not given up on you. God has not stopped. Be patient. And if you trust God, the Bible tells us that if we trust him, that God never disappoints those who put his faith, put their faith in him. And so when you go out of your house today or tomorrow, when you go to work or you go on that interview, you go to get, secure that contract, do the best you can with what you have in your closet. Amen. I, I believe physically you ought to do the best you can. But that's not the only clothes you need to put on. You need to clothe yourself with compassion. Clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with patience. Clothe yourself with these spiritual characteristics because at the end of the day, these are going to be the things that are going to determine where you are in your relationship with God. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.